The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good evening, Chris. Good evening, Mike. We are making uh, the unusual precaution of recording, well, 10 hours early, so that both of us have a little more flex ahead of the Super Bowl. Um, We have some fun stories here. Uh, a few things I'm probably going to have to work really hard about swear, uh, not swearing about that don't include that creep the Chicago Blackhawks used to employ. Um, and we have the bean pot. We have the Olympics. We have Brad Marchand uh, being stupid and wrong and Brad Marchand also being not wrong. Um, where do we want to start? Uh. There's so much to talk about. There really is a lot to talk about. I mean, prospect pools and the Oilers continuing to well, be there, well, unrefined. There we, go. there we go. We've got some. We've got some new head coaches going on. Two new head coaches in two of two of the NHL's most storied franchises. I mean, obviously the Montreal Canadiens' original six team, twenty three championships. You know, none in the modern era. I don't think there's – I think Zdeno Chara might be the only player alive who was old enough to remember the last time Montreal won a cup. But, okay. Um, and then the Oilers also landed yet another head coach because someone was silly enough to stand still long enough to take the job. They will regret it. So as the Montreal Canadiens uh, – Mark Bergevin's experiment to fire Claude Julien for, I don't know. Being Claude Julien? I don't know. Was, 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 is Dominique Ducharme his best buddy or something? So he hires, he puts Dominique Ducharme in as head coach. Um, Dominique Ducharme is now gone. Bye bye. Thank you for playing. Got us to a Stanley, you know, got them to the Stanley Cup final. The most undeserving Stanley Cup final visit. In my lifetime, but yeah, most undeserved. I don't know about deserved. they played. They hard were to in get there. the worst division no. hockey has seen in at least thirty years. Okay, they were only there were only Canadian teams in that division. It was the worst division <laughs> hockey has seen in at least thirty years. The old Northwest Division that used to allow the Sedine Twins to carry literal. <laughs> bag of of grocery sticks to the playoffs every year was a better division than that division. The NHL made their divisions based on region so that players wouldn't have to fly so far with all of the. <clears throat> I understand why it was done. OK. But when you're a team that barely makes the playoff. In a bad division to begin with, mm-hmm. you don't deserve to hit the cup. That said, when they actually hit the playoffs, they had their Cinderella run. Only the clock struck midnight as well, soon as the finals started. They, well, they ran into a team that was faster, younger, hungrier, better at defense, better at penalty kills, better at power plays. I think they were even better at opening the bench door for each other. <laughs> it, it just wasn't a comparison. <laughs> that one the was only legit- thing, I mean, the only thing that 
they that they really had was the physicality. But yeah, so they hire this Ducharme, Ducharme guy. Ducharme is well, first of all, Bergevin's gone. So the new GM Kent Hughes, Hughes. has decided that. He doesn't like the direction they're going with Dominique Ducharme. Bye-bye. He's gone. And Can't blame him. Not that I think it's Ducharme's fault because Ducharme didn't assemble the <coughs> roster. Um, so now we have, hello, Hall of Famer Marty St. Louis. Hall of Famer Marty St. Louis, who has coached as high as the peewee level. The peewee level. Not, not major junior... Not the ECHL, not college, not like a stop at like uh, St. Mary's where well, uh, Sidney Crosby went or even Minnesota high school in 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 the defense Hughes. in in Kent Hughes defense. He also hasn't been a GM either. So they're I understand the, that. So they're keeping the theme alive here and they're hiring people who have never done the job that they're being hired for. So I should put in my application for assistant GM. I've already submitted mine. Are you kidding? <laughs> wow. Sent it in last cut week. Cut me out like that. Um, you always cut me out. Don't even go there every time. <laughs> uh-huh. Keep telling yourself that. Marty St. Louis and um, Kent Hughes, one of the connections there is that the two that he and Hughes have coached against each other and with each other at, at that peewee level. Oh, and really? Like that's yes. Uh, I want to say it was Billy Jaffe mentioned it on TV a couple of days ago. Um, if it wasn't Billy Jaffe, it was someone on the NHL network. Um, Let's but, go Bill. but that's, uh, that's one of those connections. I guess you can understand at least, I guess at that level, all there is is fundamentals. How long St. Louis will stay as head coach, whether he wants to go back to coaching at a different level or simply get sick of coaching. Yeah. Um, well, but his, his I mean, son is playing at Northeastern. Yes. And uh, I mean, I think I think that part of the. Part of the constriction of candidates for the Habs is, of course, the requirement that you speak French and. Ah, okay. Marty St. Louis does indeed speak French, and he was a tremendous hockey player for anyone who didn't get a chance to see him play. Undrafted Hall of Famer, and that doesn't happen very often. Don't we potentially have one of those came out of Boston? Goaltender guy? In played a at the, fair world, played at, the, yes. played at the same university, if I'm not mistaken. In the same universe, given how long he's been out of out of the game now, yes, the discussions would already be happening. But the nonsense about oh, he didn't play long enough. He won three Vezinas a cup and the MVP of this of the playoffs. He was he was he was yes, he won the uh, Conn Smythe. Yes, he was literally the best arguably the best player in hockey for that period for, yes, for that you, three you could have made period. an you could have made an argument for the heart yeah um he was for that three or four year period for tim thomas he was arguably the best player in the league not the best goalie 
the best player when you consider all three, four years he was uh, he was full time in net. Yeah. And that's with them trying to cut him off at the ankles by throwing other goaltenders in front of him every two weeks. Who just just for foreshadowing purposes, other goaltenders who are now retired. Other goaltenders, many of whom retired within a year of arriving in Boston. Um, because don't forget there was Manny Fernandez who played what four or five games in a Bruins uniform who was brought in to replace him. Um, he, there was Alex Ald who was brought in to lighten the load for him. Um, there was, Oh God. The sad part is I liked Alex Ald. He's big. He's bald. (laughs) He's Alex Ald. (laughs) I don't even remember all of the other goaltenders. And of course, it's official now. I, we didn't have to. You know, it's official. He he made the attempt, but I was going to bring it up later. Uh, let's do it right now, I and mean, we'll then we'll get back. Uh, we'll get back to St. Louis in a minute. But Tukarask is retired, and you can all tell me I was right. I was right like a year ago, but okay. No, no, no I was right ten years ago. What, that he would retire as a when Bruin? When I said he would never win a Boston cup. Boston Bruins would never win a cup with Tuka Rask in net. Oh, that I was said that a decade ago. So, a decade ago. So, how does it feel to walk out on that sequoia sized tree trunk limb? <laughs> hey, I kept getting told in his rookie in his rookie camp that he was going to be the best goalie that Boston has ever seen. The best goalie Boston has ever seen. I mean, it, it, I know that I know that numbers aren't the be all end all. And yeah, he didn't win a Stanley Cup, but he retires with the most uh, the most wins in Bruins history. He's got three hundred and eight. He retires with the fourth because highest two two general managers in a row. Yeah. Got obsessed with their picks. And their and their players. Yes. Obsessed. Guy was unhealthy. Physically lacked the durability to be a dominant goaltender. Only had one season in his decade plus career. One season where he was over 70 games or where he hit 70 games. One. Could that be? But could that be? And I, I, I can't believe I'm playing the side of Fortuka since I was the one who made somebody cry suggesting we trade him. But could that have, could that be considered a smart play? I mean, look at the way Cam Ward was abused. Look at the way the the King have the physical endurance to it, to do it. Look at at the way King Henry was abused. I understand all of that. I I really do. And King Henry never won a cup. You know what? Of the two, if you ask me which one do I want to jump into a time machine and pull out, uh, pull out of, from, their, from their best year to put into an NHL net this year, it's Henrik. Tugaras finished his career fourth highest save percentage in NHL history behind three Hall of Famers. And he finished that having played with um, a a first ballot Hall of Famer in uh, Patrice Bergeron, the I, best, the, no, 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 the best two-way player 
w- the league has seen, certainly in Rask's career, um, arguably ever, p- b- behind Brad Marchand, arguably the next best two-way player in Tuka Rask's entire career. He spent most of that time behind Zdeno Chara, arguably a, a Hall of Famer, who Ray Bork insisted was better defensively than he was, and Ray Bork, Hall of Famer, easy Hall of Famer. Tuka Rask was frequently protected in the schedule, and when you got to the higher game totals, that's when his save percentage plummeted. 2013-14 season, 58 games, 930. Great, can't complain about anything. Next season, 70 games, drops to a 922. Season after that, 64 games, drops to a 915. 16-17 season, 65 games, drops to a 915. And it just, his last full season, the 2021 season, where he only played 21 games, he was down to a 913 save percentage. He was broken. He didn't want to admit it. I, look, I don't, I'm not criticizing him for wanting it. But your, when your body says no, and it's an injury that's been going on for years because he's had hip issues for years, someone should not have let him play as long as they did. He, they lost him for nothing, and they traded away a great prospect basically for nothing. And we'll talk about their prospect pool later today. Um, by the time he got, they got him to that 18-19 season where he hit a 9-12 save percentage, and we're not even going to talk about his four games this year, um, he they should have traded him after the 17-18 season. He should have been yes. gone. 54 games, 9-17. Oh, look, that's a little bit higher than the two previous years. Bounce him then. And actually, according to Quant, according to Quant Hockey, uh, he is actually the third highest save percentage. So obviously I'm missing somebody's name, but he's third behind Dominic Hasek, Ken Dryden, then Tuka, Ben Bishop, Vasilevsky. Oh, look, number six, Tim Thomas with a 920. Tuka finished with a 921. Dryden and Hasek both had a 922. Now, if you go into All-Star, that's where it gets interesting. You know who the highest save percentage is all time for playoff? Off the top of my head, no. Highest save percentage all time playoffs. Some guy named Thomas, 930 save percentage. And what happens if you play really well in the playoffs? You win a Stanley Cup. And how many opportunities did Tim Thomas have to win a Stanley Cup? Like seasons where they made the playoffs, he was in net. I don't know. The one? Basically one. Uh, so he, they went to the Stanley I mean, Cup. They, they, I know that they tried to get, they kept trying to go back to Tuca. And in 2013, they did go to Tuca and they lost in the final. But Tim Thomas went to the Stanley Cup finals once and won the cup 
and won the Conn Smythe. Oh, I apologize. Nine thirty-three. Didn't didn't Tuka Rask go there three times, or at least two times, and fail each time? I'm pretty Tuka's, sure he did. Tuka's got 104 playoff games, and he's got a 925 career playoff save percentage, which puts him tenth on this list. Uh, first is Tim Thomas, 51 playoff games, 933, and this list is at least 20 career playoff games. So there's some names in here. Mike Smith is second with a 931 at 29 games, and you get Jonas Hiller, Craig Anderson, best bad best bad team goaltender ever. <laughs> actually has 48 playoff games. Get this, 48 playoff games. In those playoffs, he has a 2.36 goals against and a 9.29 save percentage. Put him on a team with a decent defense. Again, this is <laughs> again. This is this is my. <sighs> yeah, if you look at it, Dominic Hasek had 119 games, 9.25 save percentage, which puts him even with Tuca. Hey, I'm not saying that the guy was the best ever. I was trying to trade him, I don't know, from like year two, maybe three. But I would cheerfully have traded him at the start of the 2011-12 season, even though even though Thomas had retired. I, when I saw him unable to compete for four months – but able to make it to the bench and all the practices, but not able to compete and not even take one or two games at the end of the season so that the Bruin, so that Tim Thomas could go into the playoffs uh, with some rest. <laughs> I knew then he didn't have it between the years. I mean, it was obvious when he came back. Uh, it, it is too bad that he didn't get some time in Providence where he might have been able to find out that the hip hadn't re- responded the way he wanted it to, and he could have retired without coming back and playing four games in the NHL and having a goals against of like five point something or whatever it is. 4.28. Oh, okay. He did lower it a little bit. That's good. Uh, yeah, it was not even the Tuca that... It was decidedly ungood. Yes, I guess that's the best way to put it. And he re- I mean, all credit to him. He recognized it quickly. He didn't keep trying because I think it would have been a detriment to the team as it is. They traded away Vladar, which we've talked about many times. Um, you know, if you you made all these moves so that you could get Swayman to the big show. And now you've turned around, sent him back down. Thankfully, it didn't. It wasn't such a long period of time that it had any kind of negative effect on his uh, confidence or his psyche or whatever. You know, he was able to come back up. He got a shutout today. He still looks good. So all credit to Tuca for recognizing that. And I, I wish him luck. And I hope that his hip, hip, I hope that his hip heals. I hope that he's able to find success in whatever he chooses to do next. Hey, I don't I do, wish him ill will. I just didn't. I don't want have anything against him personally. Right. Like, I don't think he's one of those people who was garbage off the ice, like a certain forward who's now someplace much warmer. Um, but enough. he. 
Ricky never struck me as a winner. I guess that's it. Never. I never had believability in playoff time in Tuka Rask. Just for, just for giggles. Number, number 31 on this list is uh, some guy named Patrick Wah with a 918 save percentage in the playoffs. Completely different era of hockey. Oh yeah. And number Completely. 20, number 24 is some guy named Yaroslav Halak. 919 save percentage career in playoffs. Just saying. Not terrible. Nope, not at all. So anyway, back to St. Louis, as we digress, but back to St. Louis, he's hired, he's in. We had another coaching change um, up there well, in the very warm. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump ahead. Go ahead. I think Marty St. Louis, if anyone can help get the offense for the Montreal Canadiens back on track, it's him. Like Brendan Gallagher re reacquiring his offensive touch because this was a Brendan Gallagher is a guy more than capable of 30 goal get 30 goal seasons. Uh, his feet still move reasonably well. He's not as fast as he was before all of the injuries and everything, but if he can get his hands doing the stuff that they're supposed to do again, he's still a very dangerous player. Um, is part and of I the think problem. This team is disjointed then. I mean, the team is a, I, I can't even call them a team. They're is just, it, is it a hot mess? They're, they're slops. They're slops in the trowel for whatever team is coming into their barn. Like they're just, I mean, the youth is, the youth is good. I mean, Nick Suzuki. Yep. Suzuki, really like him. Cole, Cole Caulfield. Caulfield. I yep. like, I happen to like Jake Evans. I mean, I think Jake yes, Evans a is bottom. a really solid player. He's a bottom six forward. I think he plays mostly on their fourth, sometimes on their third line. He's a physical kid. He's got some skills, but he's not offensive. He's not an offensive juggernaut. He's not a goal, a pure goal scorer like Caulfield, but he brings he brings substance to the game. I, I like okay. watching Jake Evans. Their youth is good. I don't know about all these. And yes, Josh Anderson. Oof. I mean, I like get. I like there there are. There are good pieces who have somehow assembled to be less than the sum of their parts. Some of yes. that can be coaching. Some of that is just hopelessness. Their defense are, is wait. Absent. They have a they have a defense. We so they have played forty seven games. Forty seven games. They have won eight of those. That's not good. I think that's the opposite of good. Okay. Only the Islanders who have played six less games have scored less goals than they have. Only the Islanders. Wow. They are a minus 83 in goal differential. Even the Seattle Kraken, who are a terrible team, are minus 40 in one more game played. The Ottawa Senators, who we saw the stripped-down Boston Bruins uh, beat today, are minus 26 by comparison. <laughs> Same number of games. Um, the Winnipeg Jets, who we're going to talk about uh, at some point, and are 21st in the league standings, they're a minus four. Um, I, I just don't, I don't understand how Montreal's roster can be so bad. Uh, 
some of it is being dispirited. Some of it is they've had a lot of injuries and a lot of player loss. Um, but I, I think the one thing that I I'm willing to count on, um, Marty St. Louis accomplishing, uh, in a tenure there, whether it's two years or five years is I think that some of those guys are going to find, refine their offensive touch. That's, I think he'll be good for the, I think he'll be good for the Suzuki's, the Caulfield's. I mean, I don't know what they're expecting out of him. I mean, you, you bring him in to coach a team that is five years away from being useful. And that's some of them. Some of them are five years away from not no, no, playing. No, no, no. The anymore. team as a whole is five years away from being useful. Oh, okay. I was going to say five. Some because of the players are five years away from not playing. Josh Josh Anderson will be gone soon. There's no way that no, he's he, going to be stuck. They're not, there's no way they're keeping him around for the rebuild. He's 28 already. He's signed until 26-27, till the end of 26-27. Doesn't matter. He'll be gone by. He'll be gone before the season starts next year. Wow. Okay. Um, I think Brendan Gallagher is gone. I think Brendan Gallagher, and he's another one that signed through. Oh wait, hold on. Oh, twenty six, twenty seven. As There's, is Suzuki, twenty nine thirty. Um, Jeff Petrie. He might be stuck there until his contract expires, but he'll be gone soon. Cedric Paquette has only managed to make it into 24 games. This is a guy who was on a Stanley Cup uh, juggernaut and playing significant minutes. Um, so if he can't get healthy, he has there's if he gets healthy, there's going to be bitters. Um, I. And it's not that he's an offensive superstar or anything like that, but he's a very effective player. It's it 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 can be tough to it can be tough to watch sometimes. I mean, yeah, they're just not good. I mean, (laughs) Arizona is not good. Seattle is very not good. I think Seattle in some ways is worse to watch. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know that Seattle, I don't know that the players in Seattle actually want to win for each other. They haven't, I was thinking about this the other day. They haven't come together the way that, and, and, and everybody's going to say Vegas did because of, what happened in the shooting and it brought the team together and it caused it, it may, it, it forced them to become a, 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 a tight knit unit. And it, whether it's, whether it's that reason or something else, Seattle to me, doesn't appear to have come together the way the golden Knights, golden Knights sort of rallied around their whole bunch of misfits and they had the misfits lying with Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau and, and William Carlson. And they had an identity. Like that's the, that's the foundation of it. They knew who they were and who they wanted to be. And every game, every night they brought it. Oh yeah. And they, and I mean, they had, uh, they had the, the, what the heck was his name? 35 year old captain. It played for, 
the AHL affiliate in Las Vegas. Yeah, I, I, I'm drawing. I know who you're talking well. about, and he was on the All Star game. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but they have that identity. Derek Engeland. Engeland, correct. Um, they had an identity. They knew what it was they were hoping to accomplish, which was <laughs> making their old teams regret regret giving them up. And I think that. And I don't think that's what I'm saying. I don't see that out of these. Like they they were focused on that was like their their it mantra. Was their reason that for was their, breathing. Their raison d'être. That was their their be all end all was they were going to show the teams that let them go what they were capable of. Seattle, it's like, yeah, we're here, we're we're playing and we're doing all right, but I don't get that feeling of angst no. and and no. Revenge. And, and I know that's. Ugh. It's. They didn't take it. None of them took being let go by their teams personally. And I think that may say way more about each player than any of them should be comfortable having said about them. Yeah. I also don't feel that Dave Hackstall is as good of a head coach as Gerard Gallant. And That's, I think, I think Gerard Gallant. You just used, walked out on a, uh, on a Redwood size limb. I mean, Oh, thank woo. you. Okay. This is one again. No, no, no. Redwood. Redwood. Giant. Yeah. Not quite as big as a Sequoia, but close enough. Um, but what I'm saying is Gerard Gallant. I think that he used that. He, I think he was able to stoke that fire under those players as far as the the feeling of, of oh, being cut loose. And I don't – again, I don't think that Hackstall – nothing against him. I mean he, he coached Philly and, yeah, they didn't go very far. But, you know, I, I just don't – I don't feel it. I, there, there's not that drive to show up the other play, the other teams. They're just – I don't feel it. And that says something about uh, a franchise and the coach and and the general manager, because guess who picked all of those people? Uh, I would hope it was like the GM and scouting department. And oh, yeah. Didn't they just promote Cami Granado to assistant general manager? Yes. Yes, they did. Really? They did. And I missed that announcement. I thought she was still like head of scouting or a member of the scouting department or whatever she was doing. Here's the thing. I'm pro- Companies do a lot of things at certain times of year. I mean, this is Black History Month and suddenly every company has a Black History logo somewhere on their website and Pride Month will come along, and there will be pride. There will be rainbows everywhere, and cancer uh, support or cancer research month comes along, and everything's been pink washed, and well, purple washed in the NHL. Purple washed, whatever, and it's cosplay. And I'm not saying that Cami Granado doesn't deserve it because everything I've seen of her. Says she is a phenomenal hire, but they're they seem to be making more headlines for their social stance than the whole hockey thing. 
that seems a little bit off to me. Just... A little bit off. And a great for Cammy. She's got it on her resume. Year or two down the line when she decides to move on and there's yet another opening in Buffalo and she they wants to go. Wait a they didn't Seattle didn't promote her. I could have sworn she I she, saw uh, uh, let me finish. Seattle didn't promote her. The Canucks hired her as assistant GM. Oh, okay. That's what it was. I just I just looked it up, but like I said, I hadn't heard she was she was a Seattle Kraken NHL hockey team pro scout. And she wrote a book called I Can Play Too. But she was hired by the Canucks as an assistant general manager. Uh, so, uh, my apologies, but I, I will stand by it that the that the Seattle Kraken in general have made more headlines for non-hockey than for hockey in their existence. She's going to oversee Vancouver's player development department and its amateur and pro scouting department. So it's not like she's moving out of the realm of what she was doing before. No. And I love it for her. Like she's been around hockey her entire I mean, flipping life. Granado, the Granado family is one of those family. I mean, it's not necessarily the Sutters, the Sutters. Well, there's what, six of them, I think, but yeah, I mean, the Granado family, you've got Tony coaching in, at the University of Wisconsin, you got Dom coaching. I think there's three or four of them coaching somewhere. Buffalo Sabres, and then you got Cami, who's now an assistant GM. So I'm not sure what the fourth one is doing. It, honestly, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's like the stalls. You know, three of them made it to the NHL and played well. And yeah, we don't talk about the other one. I just no. hope the other one's happy um, in both families. Um, now that we've almost talked about Marty St. Louis for two minutes in a row, um, Oilers. Well, the the Oilers, you know, the, the, that, that nice warm weather franchise. Um, Absolutely. They had themselves a head coach and, and named Dave Tippett, and they weren't doing so well. And the, I don't know if it's Dave's fault. They, they started out the season hot, but – then and other not. people figured out they still couldn't play defense. Right. And Miko Koskinen is not a number one goaltender. <laughs> that helped. That hurt, too. Yeah. And unfortunately, Mike Smith is on injured reserve, so he's not able to take the brunt. They did have Stuart Skinner, who apparently, from what I've seen, what limited action I've seen him in, looks like he could potentially take the job away from Koskinen at some point. But they just haven't looked good. And it, there's been some interesting um, press conferences going on up there with Leon Dreisaitl. You know what? But they fired Dave Tippett. They fired Dave Tippett. And I don't I don't think I've seen I don't remember who tweeted it. But this is the fifth or fourth or fifth head coach for um, McDavid. In his time there. And he's been there, what, three years, four years? He's No, he's been in the league like five years at this point. So a new head coach every year. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Which tells me one thing. 
They don't have a system in place because you can't have a system in place if you're changing it every year. No, (laughs) you can't. We're going to we're going to hop into our time machine. Now, um, the other play, one of the other players who was mentioned in the tweet, and I really wish I'd managed to grab it. um, uh, Was Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Ryan Nugent Hopkins legitimately probably has stopped learning the coach's names at this point just yells out, Hey coach. And whoever answers answers. Cause he came into the league in the 11, 12 season mm-hmm. in the 11, 12 season. Um, it started off with, well, Tom Rennie was coach part of the 10, 11 and 11, 12 seasons. Um, and then Ralph Kruger was 12 and 13 or it was the 12, 13 season. The Ralph Kruger who went over to England and is like in the management staff of one of the Premier League soccer teams. The Ralph Kruger who went over and, and then came coached. back to Buffalo. Yes, he went to he went to hockey and then went back to Buffalo and then got fired in Buffalo and who knows what he's doing now. Well, but that he made the choice of working for the Pagulas. I don't blame anybody but him. Nope. Um, <laughs> so Ralph Kruger. And then for 13-14 and part of 14-15, Dallas Eakins. And then for 51 games, Todd Nelson in 14-15. 51 whole games. Wow. 51 whole games. Um, Todd McClellan, the grandpa of the group, 266 games from 15-16 to 18-19. Mm-hmm. Um, then Ken Hitchcock for 62 games from uh, in 18-19. Didn't they drag him out of retirement? Pretty much, yep. <laughs> and then Dave Tippett from 1920 to 21-22. Two shortened seasons in there. Um, around 50 games, or well, one was, you know, around 70 games. The other one was around 56. Okay. Um, and about half of this season. And now Jay Woodcroft. And I think there were a couple of interim coaches in there as well. By the way, Jay Woodcroft is a former assistant for, of Todd McClellan. So... In, in uh, two in in two team on two teams because he was an assistant when Todd McClellan was in San Jose and then he was an assistant to Todd McClellan with Edmonton. Yes. So it all comes back around full circle. <laughs> because apparently they couldn't find a Peewee someone who coached Peewee with their general manager. Well, probably not. I mean, I don't know if Ken Holland ever coached Peewee hockey, so. That franchise franchise has been a hot mess. Oh, see, I knew hot mess would come up in the show somewhere (laughs) for a while. And I, I still consistently say when you look at the owner of a team, when you watch them in as candid a moments as can happen when there is a camera around, Mm-hmm. They will tell you almost everything you need to know about the franchise. As much as people dislike the money centric nature of the Jacobs family, well, you can't yeah. you can't criticize how often the Bruins make the playoffs, make the second round, 
The argument there is that the all the Bruins want to do is make the playoffs because but, that's where the money is. They're not necessarily trying to win a cup. There is that. And I, I fully agree that that may almost certainly is part of their cosmology. Mm-hmm. But, but whatever else their faults are, they find people competent enough to accomplish that goal. When you look at certain problem franchises and there's at least three, four, five, six of them. You can't say that about the ownership in those cities because Edmonton's Daryl Cates during the, during the, um, making the, uh, Oilers, I think was the TV show, uh, in the Taylor Tyler draft. They followed him about uh, as the boys were being visited and visiting him for one or two episodes. I don't get the impression that he's as good at absorbing and internalizing the hard data of running an NHL franchise. He might understand the profit margins. In fact, I'm pretty sure he does. He runs a pharmaceutical company uh, on the other side or a drugstore chain. I forget which it is. But as far as the actual nuts and bolts, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that even 50 percent of the owners in the league could take over and be general manager or president of their teams and have an equal record to whoever is running the office at the moment, because I don't think that's the case. But being able to at least follow the logic of X plus Y equals success. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's following that logic, he's using a formula that hasn't been updated since 1984. Because they're building 80s hockey teams, and I'm reasonably sure it's not the 80s anymore. Well, it's not. It's the 2020s. Just um, saying. But look, look at the te- look at that team. It looks like the Pittsburgh Penguins when they had Brian Smolinski on their fourth line scoring 20 goals, or at least as close as you're going to get to that in a cap era. Yeah, hey, I like Brian Smolinski. I love Brian Smolinski. Mm. I was. <laughs> I was legitimately cheesed off when he was traded. Yes. You're not the only one. Um, so, so this is how many coaches for Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Are we at like, a, a, are we at 10? I mean, it's, if it's five and five for, if it's five and five for, it's for seven coaches um, and that's official coaches, not like, I forget who the, I think there were interim coaches in some cases or, but it's bonkers. Well, actually don't forget that Tom McClellan had Todd McClellan had two runs there. He had no, no, no. I'm sorry. 24, 15, 16 to 18, 19. I read that right the first time, but he played, I mean, just in that, just since the end of the McClellan error era. Yes. In 2019, 20 games into that seat, well, 20 ish games into that season, they bring in Hitchcock. So, one, two, Again, three, four guys in four and a half years. 
who Hitchcock had retired the year before after finishing his stint in Dallas and decided he wanted to be done. Which no one somehow, could play before. And then somehow Edmonton convinced him to come back and help out. I don't know. How uh, that to worked. borrow the to borrow the uh, vernacular of a certain former basketball player in uh, Boston, I think they backed up the Brinks truck. <laughs> yeah, that that might convince him. Sure, because I don't know why. It, and, and to come back and coach, well, the opportunity to coach a kid like. <sighs> Connor McDavid. Well, that's good. If that's the only kid on the team, though, and everybody else is um, not quite as good. And okay, here's the thing: as bad as they are, Dave not. Tippett's win record or points percentage is actually a 596. Okay. Um, if you look back at this. At these coaches over the last several years, guess when the last time they had a point a coach with a points percentage that high or higher than that was? Uh, Glenn Sather back in the eighties. I don't. Know. <laughs> You're right. Glenn Sather's first run. <laughs> that was, was a total guess. <laughs> Glenn Sather's first run was a six fifty one. From 80-81 to 88-89, Glenn oh. Sather took over again in 93-94 for 60 games. Uh-huh. No other coach actually has a higher well, points percentage <coughs> than Dave the, Tippett. The argument there being that Glenn Sather had some guy named Gretzky and some guy named Messier and some guy named Yari Curry. And no, no, some no, no, guy no. Named- <laughs> the argument there is that they haven't figured out how to build a team since then. Well, there you go. You know, I mean, you, you had, had Grant Fuhrer and Matt, and you had <laughs> Craig McTavish. I think they played defense back then. I think five thirty-seven save percentage, or save uh, points, percentage, five thirty-seven <laughs> points percentage. There you go. In six hundred and fifty-six games, which is identical to the Kevin Lowe run of eighty-two games for the nineteen for the nineteen ninety-nine two thousand season, and those are the only. There's only there's four coaches in the past or, or five coaches, I guess, in the past. In the history of the the team, going back to 70, 1979, who have had a points percentage over 500. Dave Tippett. Uh, well, Glenn Sather, highest Dave Tippett, second highest. You have uh, McTavish and Lowe. Uh, and then you have uh, John Muckler at 531. I forgot about Muckler, yeah. Everyone forgot about Muckler. Um, and then Todd McClellan at 502. So general managers are hired by who? The owner. And when you owner, have a succession of, of general managers and presidents and whatever – how many data points do you need to be able to discern that even if the individual is highly competent, they might not be being allowed to make the best choices? For coaches, it's a little difficult. It's not like there's well, they don't build the roster. Of, it's not like a line of yeah, but there's not like a line of stats. Like you look at a you look at a player, you look at goals, assists, plus minus. You can do Corsi and blah 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 and the, all Whatever the advanced stats metrics. Like, yeah. 
they don't have you don't have all of those for a coach. You have win percentage. Uh, you could probably see, you know, go and see what their playoff experience is, you know, things like that. But I don't think there's as many advanced metrics on a coach. So you can't it's not like. You're going to have to go more with the intangibles and, and dare I say, go with your gut a little bit, too. Oh, absolutely. I think one of those things that you might have to go with, and I know that this is an argument in favor of one of a coach of a coach that I'm not a huge fan of overall um, as a coach, that is, and not as a person um, long, the frequency of longer uh, of longer losing streaks like this year, regardless of what I overall think of the roster, regardless of what I overall think of Bruce Cassidy as an NHL coach, they're the only team in the league that still hasn't lost three games in a row. I know. I was gonna, I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> and so I think as a regular season coach, yeah, I I will say that I gonna have to say Cassidy is a solid coach. Do I think that he's wow. It's a good thing. We're recording this. And I, and I like Bruce Cassidy. I, uh, we got to meet him while he was still with Providence, um, mm-hmm. over in Restucia. And I think he's a really good guy. Like he's, he's someone you could sit down and have a couple of drinks with. He's someone, you know, you wouldn't mind letting babysit your kids for the weekend. But that's not always the makings of the guys who get to raise the Stanley Cup or the Vince Lombardi trophy or whatever. Sometimes you just need a little bit of jerk in your DNA to make that final push and get other people to push with you. And, like, people are crediting his his statements after the Carolina loss as why they came out so well against uh, the Senators. I think that's a gross overstatement of, of impact. <laughs> gross overstatement. Look, yeah, thank you. Cassidy is not going to – did not walk in there and – Start scree- start dropping f bombs and saying Ray Borg and Bobby Orr and uh, you know Adam Oates are not coming through that uh, f bomb door. You're gonna have to win yourself. There are guys in that room who's who hate losing, hate losing. Whether I think that Charlie uh, McAvoy is the greatest defenseman in the team or in the city or to play in Boston in years or not. I know he doesn't like losing, does not like losing. I know Brandon Carlo does not like losing. We've seen him lose it when they're losing and he makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at uh, Taylor Hall. He had more than enough losing for the rest of his life in Buffalo. Well, clearly he wanted out of Buffalo. Charlie Coyle. Dude will do what it takes to win. He's approaching Patrice Bergeron level of dedication to the game, a.k.a. 
pathology because I genuinely think if you set him on fire and told him he needed to kill penalties for the next three minutes straight well on fire, he might just do it. <laughs> mm. Um. So, <sighs> Edmonton. We've discussed yes. the we've discussed the lack of virtues of their roster to death. So what is I'm I'm just I'm just curious as to what Jay Woodcroft is going to bring to the table because I I don't know anything. Defense about is him. still Darnell Nurse and a bunch of guys I can't name. Yes, um, that, that's entirely true. The defense back in the '80s, since we're going to talk about Glenn Sather, the defense back in the '80s is a bunch of guys I can't name. And then they put Grant Fuhrer in net. Just just for giggles, Grant Fuhrer, 150 playoff games. Yep. 2.93 goals against. Yeah. And a, save per, and a save percentage of 8.98. No, I just think that I just think that they managed to win their their no, Stanley Cups outscoring their opponents. They they won their game seven six five four exactly two, and not. And that doesn't work in this in the NHL. It hasn't worked since 2005. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Edmonton still doesn't play defense. Ding, 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 ding. Well, you have Darnell Nurse. You have the shadow of Duncan Keith. Oh, that's right. I forgot they traded for Duncan Keith. Um, By the way, wasn't he like the first uh, Dino or one of the first Dinos? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, uh, Paul Coffey. Well, I, yeah, I don't think it's fair to lump him in with Brent, Bur- <laughs> with Brent Burns. Paul Coffey, yeah. Uh, the first eight years of Eric Carlson. Yeah. Um, then you have Tyson Berry, Cody CC, Evan Bouchard, Philip Broberg, Marcus Niemelainen, and William Leg- uh, Legison. I actually think Nimalainen was somebody I liked and I wouldn't mind having. But seriously, that defense as a whole? Yeah, no. I feel bad for Darnell Nurse. Let's get him out of there. I feel bad for Duncan Keith. I mean. (laughs) Well, he did win three Stanley Cups with with Chicago. I don't feel that bad for him. Um. Let's just dive into other teams because we are already running a little long. Um, the Bean Pot. Hey, we haven't bean had the final produces, yet. That's Monday. The Bean Pot produces stars every year, even if they're only stars at the college level, oh. and it's managed to do it again. Are we going to talk about the goaltending factory? Uh, TJ Semptonfelter. Semptonfelter, yes. If you didn't know who he was two weeks ago, you are de- definitely in line with seven billion other people. Um, if you don't know who he is tomorrow, you can't call yourself a hockey fan. This kid was ridiculous. He looked, he looked both bigger and smaller in the game that he played because he was moving. He's not like, that he's not that big a kid. He's, I mean, yes, he's he's over six feet. He's six one. But he moved like a five nine guy. Oh yeah. He took up space like a six three guy on occasion, but he moved like it was he had agility in net that you would see in that first couple of years of Marty Biron when he was 
when he was just right, left, right, left, uh, in, in and out across the crease. But he had control, too. Like, you didn't really see him losing his net um, like you do a lot of goaltenders who are trying to move at lightning speed. Um, you know, he stopped when he wanted to stop. He stopped there. He, it's not like he slid an extra four inches or even three feet past the post when he shouldn't. It was fun to watch because he he's definitely a more energetic goaltender than a lot of what we see in the Lundqvist Rask style of goaltending. Uh, the upright, purely playing the ang- or almost purely playing the angles type. Mm-hmm. I love watching this kid, and I think he's the whiff of all of last year's draft because he's 19 years old. He was ranked like low 200s. And nobody picked him up. I couldn't find him ranked anyway. Where did you find him ranked? I went looking for it. I, I thought you said anyway. he was ranked last year. No, uh, no, no. That's when we were talking about Ryan, Ryan St. Louis, Martin's son. He's ranked. Oh, okay. He's ranked 222nd. Unranked last year. Yes. He is not ranked anywhere. I couldn't find him on any FC hockey. Um, I couldn't find him on, on any prospects anyway. He, I mean, he's listed there obviously, but. There's no rankings for him anywhere. And he had a 933 save percentage last year in his league, the NCDC. Um, I, off the top of my head, can't tell you what those letters stand for, but that's okay. Um, the Boston Junior Bruins. The Boston Junior Bruins, which I kind of think that's where Billy Jaffe uh, coaches his kid. I think I've heard him say talk about them a couple of times in high and yeah in high school the lawrenceville school he had a 925 uh his his under 18 triple a team in north jersey where he's from in malton 941 i mean you look at his numbers and it's not like this is a fluke no he's he's having success at every level the only time he hasn't is last year with the or with the Boston Junior Bruins in the playoffs where he had an 898 save percentage. And they still managed to win four out of, you know, they still managed to win four out of six games. Yeah. I mean, that's this, if this kid doesn't get picked up this summer in the draft, there are probably 32 scouting departments that deserve to be turned over, like open the doors and shove everyone out. Someone needs to give this kid an invite, give him a look. He needs a looky-loo somewhere because this is – I was watching this kid, and the way I raved about Caden Primo at Northeastern, and that's why I called them – suddenly they, they've turned into a goaltending factory because all of a sudden they turn out Caden Primo and then Devin Levy. The only reason why Devin Levy wasn't playing – is he's over playing for the U.S. Olympic team, so they they bring in this kid, freshman Semptenfelter. Oh wait, he's just gonna go in and wow the crowd and wow me. He had three or four of the of three or four Larsenus saves, one on a two on one. The only goal they scored that BC scored was on a two on one, and it was only because the puck was elevated. And he couldn't get. He got the glove, and it, he ended up getting the glove under it, or something like that. He just missed. It, it mistimed. It. I think it either went off the glove or just barely missed. But the shot was, the yeah. shot was great. 
I yeah, mean, that was an NHL quality. Giles, on that Giles scored that goal, and, and yeah, it, I mean, but other than that, he was he was lights out. He and and like I said, a couple of Larsonist saves, and and the flurry at the end was ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> if he can finish this season with ten games, twelve games, and stay above nine twenty five, there is no excuse for him to still be undrafted at the end of the fifth round uh, this year's draft. I like none. Many, I don't know how many games they have left in the season. But he's played in five. He's clearly going to play in the final come yep. Monday because Devin Levy won't be back yet. They're still playing in in, in, in Beijing. So it's going to be Semptenfelter again. That's six. Yeah, if you can get him between, north of ten games, if you can get him another four to six games by the end of the season for this kid. I mean, let's put it this way: if he wins the bean pot, if they win the bean pot, which which would be what four years in a row now, or did they win it? Well, there was no there was no bean pot last year, but four tournaments in a row. Yes, four tournaments in a row. If they win it again, first of all, this kid's name is going to be one of the one of the finalists for most the valuable Hobie player. Baker. I don't know if he'll get a Hobie Baker award. He might not have played enough games yet, but yeah, but he'll definitely be finalist for MVP of the Beanpot tournament. You get him another, like I said, another four to six games. He shines. I mean, nine thirty, nine thirty eight so far this season. Uh, yeah, I think somebody needs to give this kid a look or you give him a late round draft pick, like fourth, fifth round, something like that. there's got to be somebody out there that needs goaltending. And here's the talk about a team. We did talk about at least one team. Uh, And here's the other thing. If I'm Northeastern, I have to worry about one of these two guys, either him or Levy transferring because there's not enough net in college for both guys to get serious playing time. Well, Devin Levy has already been drafted. So yeah, but you're already talking about 30. (laughs) You're only, you're talking about 30 plus game seasons 32 34 depending on the year and the conference yeah are you telling me 17 games in a season or 14 games in a season is enough to turn someone into a or to get someone to pro playing ability and consistency because i'm going to tell you you need better drugs oh thank you (laughs) well at some point you have to go from backup to starter i mean yes He's a freshman. Devin Levy is a sophomore. Devin Levy's been drafted by a team that I don't remember. Yes. Racking my brain, racking my brain. It was somewhere where it was goaltending wasn't needed or or Uh, Panthers. He's uh, Florida because they had Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight, something like that. Yeah. So bringing in Devin Levy. Yeah. That brilliant move. Then you got yourself Especially a young. Since they drafted him 212. Yeah. Uh, 948 save percentage last year. Um, and he was drafted. Really, that's not really all that good, though. No. 212. Yeah. And and then you got this kid just, you know, he just happens to be sitting on the bench. And, oh, yeah, you're going to have to start now. Sure. It's only the Beanpot tournament. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't mind, don't mind if I showboat a little, right? Don't mind if I And that is the thing. He hasn't even done that, really. 
No, um, and when they talked to when they talked to him after the end of the game, very humble, very respectful. Talked about how it, it, even though even though they tried to talk to him about how larcenous he was and how some of his saves were so amazing, and he just kept putting it back on the team. No, nope, it's the guys that play in front of me. They're the ones that do all the work. He's saying all the right things. He legitimately reminded me in poise and the way he spoke of a cross between like mid-career Patrick Roy and Braden Holtby. Uh, just the body language and the shape of his face and the way his eyes barely move. Just sort of a cross between those two guys. Um, I want to watch a lot more of this guy. Just me the first five minutes of the game. I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to pronounce the kid's name. Lots of letters um, and just go with TJ. I thought it was funny because you had the guy with the longest name at one end of the building. And then at the other end of the building, BC had the guy with the shortest name, Eric Dopp, D.O.P. Who still played a fantastic game. Oh, my goodness. BC was in that game only at some points only because of him. <laughs> I mean – if you didn't give star of the game to Semptonfelder, you had to give it to Dop. Dop, yeah, Dop. Eric Dop, D-O-P. But he, yes, BC was in that game, especially at the end of the first period. They were in that game because of Eric Dop. He made stops that he made you, stops you rare, you don't expect a college goaltender to make, and they needed to be made because it end of the first period. Potentially could have been three, four, nothing. That game could easily have been completely out of hand before the midway point. Like you, you could legitimately have had Northeastern up six or seven goals by the end of, by the middle of the second frame. Northeastern looked like they wanted it. BC, BC. I mean, they were talking about Boston College and how they've been snaked. Northeastern, Northeastern looked like they needed it. And, B, uh, BC looked like they were interested in it. Okay, good way of putting it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> um, moving on, uh, one of the more interesting stories of the week is, of course, or two stories, honestly, of the week, is Brad Marchand. Suspended mm-hmm. for six games for roughing and high-sticking. Well, it was it was a pretty good right cross that he gave to Tristan Jari. He smacked the guy really hard in the helmet. Yeah, he did. It was it was by Brad's admission stupid. I will tell you, I think it was stupid. The high stick was stupid. Yes. Could a a ten year old with all of their strength doing what he did would have had equal chance of injuring Tristan Jari to, uh, to what Brad Marchand did. Brad Marchand was not trying to hurt him. He was trying to <clears throat> cheese him off and get a rise on him. Yeah, that and get a reaction, get him, get him to get a penalty, uh, put him okay. off of his game, you know, pick okay. a phrase, pick a phrase. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Be honest here. Yes. If Sidney Crosby does that exact same thing and gets a, and somehow manages to get a match penalty for it, 
How many games is he being suspended for? He isn't. Um. Okay. If, maybe a game. It may be a game or two, but he isn't. I mean, Ryan did he get leaves, anything for? Did he get Ryan anything? Reeves, if Ryan Reeves does the same thing with the same intent not to injure, but to really annoy someone, because Ryan Reeves is a much bigger, stronger man than yes, Brad Marchand. How many games is he getting suspended? Three, four games. Mm, maybe one. Really? Maybe one. one. One, two games? Maybe. So is, so is because, this suspension? Because, because a match penalty is effectively a suspension. Well, yes, you're thrown out of the game. So you're suspended from the current game. I can understand when was that. The last, when was the last time that you heard of anyone being suspended for roughing? Because remember, the game is still going on. This is not this is not an incident that happened after the final whistle. This happened during game play. Well, technically, the stick to the the stick that to happened, the that's that was after that was after the whistle, though. But the final whistle for the game, the final buzzer, had not sounded. It was still during the course of the game. It was not oh, an extra. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. It was not a, it was not something that happened after everything's in the history books. When was the last time you heard of someone being suspended for roughing? Ever. I'm trying. I'm, I was actually trying to think. I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I haven't come up with anything yet. No. Even Sean Avery wasn't suspended for roughing ever. Sean Avery could have been suspended for stupidity. but. OK, when was the last time you heard of anyone being suspended for high sticking? Well, uh, that's a uh, and again slippery slope. Marty McSorley no, no, no. whacking some guy in the back of the head. Okay, was was that person injured? Uh, yes. Uh, please describe Tristan Jari's injuries. Oh, I didn't say Tristan Jari was injured. Tristan Jari okay. wears the most pads and. But and, that's and the thing, Tristan. In. Tristan Jerry wasn't injured, and one of the key points for a high stick to even be to become even a double minor, much less a major, which I don't know that I've ever seen a major Drawing for blood. high sticking. There has to be injury. It's not you don't have to actually draw blood. It has to be injury. Like if you knock out someone's tooth, if you if you blacken their eye. Wait, I've got a question. Head. I've got a question for you then. I've got a question. If that's the case, then why wasn't Sidney Crosby given a double minor for what happened to Patrice Bergeron? Because as it come out, he was cut in the back of his head. That's an injury. Because he's Sidney Crosby. Oh. He, look, he didn't even when so him tripping, and when him is and, allowed when you're Sidney Crosby. Who was it? Uh, him and one of the forwards uh, double teaming uh, Boris Volabic, uh years ago. Um, it wasn't Latang. It was uh, I it forget who the forward was. It wasn't Gino. No, no, no. It was uh, I don't remember his name. It was about 15 years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. He didn't even get a penalty for that. I mean, clear as day. 
and the officials saw it, and he didn't even get a penalty for it. <laughs> what does that tell you about the league? And let's not mm-hmm. even go into the it hit tells, today. It tells, me, it tells me that if you have Gary Bettman on speed dial, then you're not going to get any calls against you. And let's not even go into the hit on um, Ashan today. Like, textbook, high hit to the head as the principal point of contact. Well, who was the knuckle? Who was the knucklehead that hit Marshawn and screwed up his shoulder? I honestly, I did not see that play. But no, that no, this was back during the Washington game. It wasn't Wilson though; it was somebody else. I, I didn't see that play. I, I was, I didn't get a chance to watch that part of the game. Um, well, I'm telling you, the hit should have. There should have been a suspension. I mean, he was hit in the back from behind, but, up against the boards, face first, shoulder first, I guess. But. But who was – yeah, but it was only Brad Marchand. It's not a player that the league cares about. Arguably the best left wing. In argu- the NHL. In the NHL. Uh, the best wing, period, in the NHL. Yeah, but everybody's going to argue that Mark Stone is as good, and I don't think so. But that's Mark Stone is not as good a penalty killer. Thank you. Mark Stone is nowhere near as fast. And Mark Stone does not do one-on-threes or one-on-fours anywhere near as well as Brad Marchand. I think Mark Stone is a fantastic player. Yet somehow Mark Stone has been nominated for a selfie. Mark Stone does not play in Patrice Bergeron's shadow. <laughs> yeah, that kind of sucks. That kind of sucks for Brad. I, I do feel bad for the guy in that instance. Because if he were on another team, he would be getting nominations, or at least I hope he would. But unfortunately, when, yes, you play in, in Patrice Bergeron's shadow, somehow your your defensive capabilities are going to get hidden. It's like David Pasternak, as goofy as he is, as many holes as he still has in his game, he's still at least league average as a defensive player. Um... So Brad Marchand, the second half of this story is that he spoke out and called the – he didn't say it in that in those particular words, but he called the suspension ridiculous um, and is appealing it. I'm, I think he has a good chance of having some games removed from this uh, because it's not just the suspension, but because of the length of this suspension, he would lose – over four hundred thousand dollars if he's forced to serve the entire thing. Over four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So the NHL, the NHLPA appeals in his on his appeal, behalf on his behalf, but he's already sat out the second game. You know, you it's know not, as well. It as wasn't a, going to be peeled. It wasn't going to be pulled back down below three, anyways. We know that. You, you know as well as I do, they're not going to listen to the appeal until game five anyway. So and then they'll go, oh, yeah, we'll shorten it to five games. Yeah, sure. OK. Um, I this is something that I think the league, the the PA needs to start formulating strategy on for their next for the next uh, CBA. OK. Because I, I would say that this and I would say that what's going on, what went on with Evander Kane, mm-hmm. abuse of power, and 
it, it, just violation of the contracts between the players and the between the individual player and the team. Get me started. Or the team in the league. That was that, that was, was just high grade horse mucky. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I, we're not allowed to use the words, or we try to resist using those words, even when they're blatantly deserved. Yeah. Um. Oh, and for fun, for funsies. I think that people ought to compare the uh, differences in uh, players in the NFL and the NHL um, for vaccination status um, and uh, what sort of penalties were or were not applied to players um, who lied about their vaccination status in the NFL um, and how they were portrayed in the media. I, I, I think that that's uh, a worthy a worthy subject of examination um, over the next day or so. Fascinating. 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 Uh, we are running way heavier than I thought. Um, f- one of the most eye-opening tweets of the week mm-hmm. um, is about the Philadelphia Flyers, who are, of course, uh, not playing under the head coach they started the season under, which... He, as a rule, I would count as addition by subtraction, but <laughs> you and me both. Alexander Appleyard tweeted. Um, <coughs> the Excuse NHL me. Flyers unable to play roster right now, and it's terrifying, like legitimately terrifying. It is four players short of being a complete NHL roster. There are 11 forwards four defensemen and a goaltender off of uh, who are unable to play, uh, who have at some point been on the NHL roster this year or projected to be on the NHL roster. I'm going to run through it real quick. Farabee, Couturier, Allison, Broussard, Hayes, Forster, Brown, Frost, Lexinski, Fitzgerald, and Thompson for forwards, York, Ellis, Morin, and Ristolainen for defensemen, an Arison for goaltenders. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, well, just two of those defensemen probably win them five more games at this point of the season versus where they are now. Ryan Ellis and Rasmus Ristolainen are both not pl- unable to play. Couturier had just basically had his season ended with the need for a surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, we know Hayes hasn't played in a while. We know Brown and, uh, we know Farabee has had some Joel issues. Yep. Uh, Derek Broussard. At minimum, even with AV as coach, this team is eight to 12 points better with half of these guys back on their ice. I <laughs> this is just I mean like th- I hadn't I knew they had a lot of injuries this year. This is like gross. It, it, and they're twenty seventh in the league, thirty eight points, four oh four points percentage, mm-hmm. so twelve points at minimum. So what you're saying is they the, shouldn't have blamed uh, they shouldn't have blamed AV and twelve points might be a stretch. I'm not 100% sure on that, but we'll go with that number. It was the first that came out of my mouth. That would give them 50 points. 
they would be equal in points to Detroit and Vancouver, which I still think is low overall for what that roster could be with a healthy team who's playing well. So, no, I don't think 12 points is an overstatement. Okay. Um, lots to do this year. And I think that one of the things that a lot of general managers and scouting staffs haven't done particularly well is take into account player injury history. Uh, when they're signing players, when they're trading for players, when they're drafting, you so know, right. Yeah. So just looking at right, Fitzgerald and Lashinsky are season opening. I were on season opening. IR. Yep. Couturier and Ryan Ellis are on long-term IR. Kevin Hayes, Joel Farabee, Nate Thompson, Patrick Brown, and Samuel Morin are on regular IR. Yep. (laughs) It's just an awful situation. And I'm not even sure you can blame AV because uh, they had it. They had injuries on defense to start the season, which throws everything out of balance. They're starting the year with two goaltenders who we can charitably say are having uh, were expected and hoped to have bounce back years. Um, I haven't looked at their goaltending recently, but I'm kind of willing to bet that uh, it's not been spectacular given the roster in front of them. Now, the other three that I'm looking at, and unless they're listed as injured in the minors, because Morgan Frost, Cam York, and Samuel Erson, the goalie, are all listed in as in the minors or non-roster players. So unless they're this is and, and Tyson, suite, and Tyson Forster. So they're list those guys are all listed as in the minors. I'm just wondering if they're not if they're on like if they're on the injured list in the minors, because it doesn't indicate that on cap friendly. It, it just indicates that they're in the minors. So they must be listed as on IR from, I don't even know who the Flyers minor league team is. That's um, the band, uh, the Phantoms. Ah, okay. Um, and let's see. Really, uh, really, really interesting article up on The Athletic uh, covering the prospect pools for all 32 NHL teams. This is for those of you who are uh, hardcore nerds. Yes, that's a good. I was trying to think. If you are a hockey nerd, you probably you may have read this article already. Um, (laughs) Thousand hundred thousand words. (laughs) They covered all 32 teams. Mm hmm. And we're going to look at Boston really quick because I've said that their system needs some work. You know that their system needs some work. I don't agree with the placement of some of these uh, or or the rankings um, in terms of where uh, Wheeler has some of the guys ranked within the Bruins system. But I overall agree that they're got a bottom tier system. Like I'm not. Oh yeah. Without it, they are not. I mean, when, when, I, when we read the list and it says that they're ranked 27th, it was like, 
that okay, high. I knew they were bad. I just didn't know how bad. Now I understand how bad. Um, so we're going to, I just want to run through the list of players, uh, of prospects in the pool, because I think it, I think it is enlightening. Um, even if I disagree with, with the placement, um, although I would, yeah, let me get this up mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Our, uh, our file repository is misbehaving. Oh, I hadn't, I actually hadn't noticed. It's so Scott Wheeler, um, ranked the prospects. Fabian LaSalle, right wing, 18 years old, listed as their number one prospect. Is he really? Yeah. I liked what I saw of Fabian LaSalle. Well, you didn't see him. You didn't see him at development camp, so I've seen I've seen a couple of I've seen some decent length clips of Giants games, um, and I watched a couple of highlight reels after the draft. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's an ambitious statement to say he's the, the best prospect in their team in their system. They have Jack Stadnika number two. I am willing to bet you that Jack Stadnika. Uh, is not even in the eyes of Bruins front office, who I don't necessarily count as the best prospect accumulators. Um, I'm willing to bet he's not the number two center in their system, in their heads. Uh, Mason Lorai, number three. Okay. I would have put him in the top three based on everything we've seen in the last year or two. I actually wonder if he isn't the top prospect in the system. Um, Brett Harrison is number four at center and 18 playing for the Oshawa generals. There's my first big one. Mm -hmm. I think this is an overstatement. I I think it's a hopeful statement. And the fact that he's ahead of John Beecher is probably a bias towards the CH uh, Canadian hockey league over uh, American colleges. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I can't get under that one. Um, but I mean, for me, your top five should all go. Wow. Then there's Jacob Lauco. Yeah. At six. Jacob Lauco. Yeah. I mean, no, what I, re- what I remember of him, is and, and I'd have to go back and look at some old notes, seeing him at, at development camps of the past. What I remember of him is that he had speed, uh, he had decent hands, and that was kind of where it stopped. He needed. Yeah. To, my impression was that he needed a little bit more work. Everything else, yes. Ty Gallagher, number seven. I think I liked him. I think I liked what I saw of him at development camp this year. I don't dislike him. Yeah, definitely don't dislike him. I mean, he's playing. And if you want to, I mean, if you really want to go, they've got two Boston University defensemen on the NHL big club right now. So the fact that he's at BU can't hurt. I mean, he's at a place where he's going to learn. Right. Right behind him. 
Trevor Kuntar? I'm surprised he's listed at eighth. I mean, I thought Kuntar was I thought what Kuntar I saw was him better at the, than the guy ahead of him. Yeah, what I saw of Kuntar at development camp and what I've seen out of him at BC, I thought he was a little bit higher on the list than eighth. Curtis Hall is playing on the fourth line of the Providence Bruins. He's on and ninth. He's, and he's ninth. He's playing on the fourth line? And fourth line is what it, where I've seen him in some of the lineups. That's probably that probably changes, and I don't I haven't looked at like minutes uh, per game. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's Victor Berglund, who has bounced between the A and the E this year at 22 at number 10, and not gotten an NHL call up despite the injuries. Um, Matias Mantikivi, the player I have seen the absolute least of at number 11. I saw him at Dev Camp before, I think it was the, the year before the lockout. Okay. And to me, the biggest surprise is Quinn Olson landing not merely outside the top 10 or even the top five, but at number 12. I, aside from Lorai and maybe. I can't actually name three prospects I like better than him. And again, that's that's Mike's opinion, not the league's opinion, not the uh, not the front office's opinion. No, I, I'm I'm wishing I had my my tablet here. I, I had all my notes on on my and then iPad. There's the baffling one because there's <laughs> only one place between. Between mm-hmm. a guy I think is a top three prospect in their system or top five prospect in their system because I'm willing to give it to Beecher and Stadnika has shown flashes of NHL readiness. Andre Gasso? I don't remember being all that enamored with him at development camp. Um, there was, uh, there was a lack of enamor in general. I think he's got good wheels. Wasn't just me then. No, actually the wheels, he, yeah, he's not slow. Okay. But like, like Wheeler says here, you know, he's not slow. His skating from a standstill can be sluggish. I I didn't find enamored. I think that he kind of just was there he 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 reminds me of um a cardboard cutout he was just there i i wouldn't go there i wouldn't go that far but you know if you're asking me which former boston bruin i'm going to peg him as being the closest to um it's probably byron bits Okay. Who didn't have an extremely long NHL career. Well, if I remember, Byron wasn't drafted. So. Um, and then Ryan Mast, Sarnia Sting. I Ryan would Mast. definitely have him ahead of Andre Gasso and maybe one or two others on this list. Um, so while I definitely agree that their prospect pool isn't deep, because I, even as much as I like everything I've seen of Beecher as much as I like everything I've seen of Mason Lowry, 
is given the fact that I'm probably higher on uh, Quinn Olson than many people. No, we, no, he was, he, he was, he was, he was a standout at dev camp. I remember writing an awful lot of notes about him, but I, I gotta have to go out on, I'm going to have to go and say that I, I don't, Beyond the top five or six prospects, whatever, whoever you think they are, we've already seen Stadnika play in the NHL. At worst, I still think he'll hit 200 NHL games. At worst. Okay. I think that Beecher, when he comes out, he's going to hit that 200 NHL games. Easily. Um, I think that Mason Lowry is probably, at worst, if healthy, going to crack 400 NHL games because they give defensemen a little longer to make it work. Um, I like, I like Fabian LaSalle. I think he's, I think he's got potential. I don't know. There are players who occasionally make me wonder if they have the willingness to stick to the NHL and the work ethic for it. And we talked about that with one or two of the defensemen who were in camp, but that's not something I expect to see in one development camp. I, I, people have all sorts of reasons for being uh, distracted, including the size of the audience that shows up to watch a couple of guys who basically haven't entered an actual NHL locker room yet. Um, it, there's mm-hmm. a lot there's a lot that can happen. And in a town like Boston, where everything regarding the team is magnified, I'm not willing to make decisions or hardcore projections off of one dev camp, but there are players. I, I I think my top six or seven are fundamentally different than what we saw here. And I still don't think, I still don't know if they actually have a legitimate league star in here. Not a superstar, not first ballot Hall of Famer, but someone who you know is going to get mentioned. Who's someone who's going to appear in a highlight reel for good reason, at least once a week on ESPN. At least once a week. I don't see it. At least once a week. Oh, it. okay. We'll call it twice a month. So someone who is top six player um, for sure. Mm -hmm. Like if Beecher can pull out, can hit the potential they want him to. Yeah. He's probably going to be a number two C. Is there a number one center in the system? I don't know. It might be Beecher. Mm. It might, but I don't know because I don't see him on the ice against the other guys. I want to say he was injured at this year's dev camp. He, yeah, he wasn't there. Um, I think, I think he was nursing. I think he was nursing an, an injury, and, you know, that he had suffered. Oh, or he had some surgery. I don't know. Yeah. One final thought on Brad Marchand. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to throw this out there, not because I expect it to happen, but because 
it's just a thought and a comparison to some other players that we've seen leave the NHL. What if Brad Marchand just says, bleep this, uh, I want my contract severed, I'm never playing in the NHL again, and goes to the KHL? <laughs> He's going to make more money, like and more money for a shorter season. He's going to make more money in the KHL? They pay well and there's no taxes. Their salaries are just not taxed over there. How? But here's the question. We've seen guys who couldn't stay on NHL rosters be league stars and superstars over there. Mm-hmm. Brad, um, yes. Lots of them. Lots Brandon, Brandon Bochensky? Brandon Bochensky, Coco, <laughs> um, uh, Kevin Dahlman. Um, the, the list goes on and on. Yes. Mm. How many points could Brad Marchand score? In a KHL season, could he have a 125 point season in or in their you know 50 something 56 game season? Potentially, sure. Two points a game. I I think it's doable if at his talent level. A couple of 50 goal seasons I in could, a row. I could also guarantee you that Don Sweeney would be saying that you know he's still expecting Brad Marchand to come back sometime. Uh, and that's that's probably including if Brad Marchand took the opportunity to punch him in the face on the way out. <laughs> oh, great. You didn't do that. So. I but mean, he st- but he still gets questioned about coming back. here. Don Sweeney is starting to sound like an algebra teacher. <laughs> OK. Oh, by the way, Quinn Olson. Um, he's played in, go ahead. Uh, he's played in 28 games. He has six goals, 15 assists. Um, but Colgate, he plays, he plays at Minnesota Duluth with Blake Biondi and, and, and a, and a bunch of other NHL draftees. Second on the team in scoring. Only yeah. four penalty minutes. Not not terrible, but yeah, Blake Biondi is there. Uh, Stesko is there too. Kyler Clevin. It's uh, not a terrible team. Zach Stesko, yeah, no, this is Minnesota Duluth is not a bad team. No. Um. So so for Quinn Olson to be on that. Wait it, wait wait wasn't. Zach Stageco at Bruins Dev Camp. Stesco? Yeah. Stesco. He was. Yeah. Six yes. four two fifteen is what they have him at. That's a little bit bigger than I remember him being, but okay. Yes, he was an invite. He was not he not drafted as far as I know. He was just an invite. Uh currently this season he has uh, only three games and not a good record. Yeah, he was gone. They they just welcomed him back based on some of the stories I'm seeing on the Minnesota Duluth site. So he was out, I'm guessing, dealing with an injury or something. <sighs> but yes, he was an invite. I mean, I, I think that he's at a program where he's going to 
yeah, he's going to um, uh, he's going to learn something, and, and that's what I'm hoping for with Ty Gallagher at Boston University. He's you know they're at programs that these are the programs that make it to the Frozen Four on a regular basis. Um, closer to the professional level, you know, as far as how to handle yourself and how to handle your game. And it's not the speed of the game. It's not any, it, you know, not that type of equivalent, but they're going to, they're going to hone your skills. The coaching is, is just that, that little smidge better, you know, it, it it's, I think he's in the right place. So yeah, I like Quinn Olson and I remember writing a lot about him. I just wish I had my notes in front of me so I can, Tell you all the wonderful things I remember writing about him. Yay. Um, anything else we want to cover before uh, before we kick off? I don't think there's much else to cover. We can we can say that the the team USA over in the Olympics is two and zero, oh, and if they win their third game against Germany, they'll finish first in their group and could have uh and and could have some kind of advantage going into the medal rounds. Yay. Now, can you actually name five players on Team USA? No. De- Devin Levy. <laughs> wait, wait, I can. Devin Levy. Um, uh, um, He's got the roster up. No, I don't actually. I've got I've got my my storyboard in front of me. No, the the, the older guys were there. Kenny Agostino. Um, and Andy Mielli. Oh, uh, Strauss man is the goaltender because he's from Michigan and uh, yeah you want a fifth one I don't know is Owen Power over that no he's Canadian no. um, uh, anyway I got four anyway. and I'm very <laughs> proud of you because I couldn't have done it Oh well, actually, I could throw in Steve Camper and uh, Steven Camper. There's five. Isn't David Warsawski on the team as and well? Warsawski's on the team. Yes. Um, that's what I was trying to remember was all the older guys because we were talking about them earlier. That's what I was doing. <laughs> anyways, ladies and gentlemen, this is where we leave you. Uh, have an awesome day, uh, regardless of what day you listen to us on. Um. We will be back during the week. I'll put I'll put a couple of polls up uh, across the week as uh, things unfold, and we're going to throw out the name of a potential future NHL head coach as part of next week's show. Have a great week, and we'll be back. <laughs>